All right, morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Uh, really lovely to see you all. Um, uh, as you know, this is our regular leadership strategy webinar. So if this is your first time here, I really encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. I've given a little screenshot there at the bottom of the welcome slide. Hopefully you can see that. Just head over to Olympic Strategies YouTube channel. There's loads of uh, these uh, sessions on there. Um, so, for example, in April, we had a fab discussion about power of creativity and problem solving with leadership coach and professional clown M. Stroud. In March, we tackled transformation from the perspective of self, team and organisation. Prior to that, we had future uh, Mayor of London, Lord Mayor of London, uh, Alison Gowman, on talking about um, climate change, ESG and transformation in the city. So it's a real kind of smorgasbord of topics. Uh, lots to discover on the channel. So just head over there. Um, thinking out loud, you know, as a leader, you could easily pick one of these sessions. They are free and there's good content on there. You could share it with your team. That might prompt a discussion on that theme or that content. So uh, good uh, resources for you to use in developing your, your leadership and management teams. Um, before we get going, then our next one, we're going to move on from creativity and today's subject, which is happiness to something much harder. Um, so uh, the next session, which I think Alice will correct me, is the 30th of June, we'll, we'll um, confirm for, for the date on a later slide, it's about how to face uh, the difficult things in our lives uh, and how as leaders facing the difficult things in our lives is key to growing as leaders. So a little bit more on that later. All right, before we get started, um, I'm keen just to get a view from everybody on what you think about um, employee happiness given our, our guests today. So I'm just going to launch a poll. Um, and uh, just can everyone just pile in and give us a yes, no on that. Most of you don't think employee happiness is a fluffy metric. A, a few of you do. Uh, so very interesting. That's, uh, that's useful for us. So we'll take, we'll take both points of view into account as we get going. Right. So uh, delighted to have Chris and Clive uh, Highland uh, here from Happiness Index. Um, hi, um, Chris, Hello. I think you're going to kick off and just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and about Happiness Index. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Um, so I am Chris Highland, the younger Highland. Um, I'm the co-founder of the Happiness Index. Um, I have been on my entrepreneurial journey um, since 26, so 14 years now. Uh, uh, and we founded the Happiness Index, which is an employee and happiness platform, um, seven years ago now. And um, one big fact that we brought into it, hence why my dad is here, um, is around neuroscience and actually how we quantify that happiness metric. So we work with companies to help create thriving cultures, um, and we do that through our platform. Lovely to have you. Hello, Clive. Morning, hi Nick and everyone else. Um, you'll have great difficulty in spotting which is the younger of us, of course, but uh, you know we'll we'll press on anyway. Um, yeah, my role really, I mean, my, corp my corporate career was built really in leadership roles in fairly large organisations. Um, so about thirty years of business experience, and and that ended in about two thousand and five when I started down this route of neuroscience, um, discovered partly by accident, but nevertheless. And it helped me to make sense of both the experience I'd had in the corporate world and also what I believe needs to be um, done by organizations and by people in the future. So, you know, my passion uh, met with Chris and his business's passion. And at this stage, we were on the same track in terms of bringing subjects like happiness to the business table. Um, so we'll see where the conversation goes. 
I I remember when we were chatting, Chris, you talked about um, this a little bit and about, um, you know, asking people how they are, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so tell us a little bit about that. You have to, it's a curious way that people respond to the how are you question. So I think it originally came from, um, I mean, started my career about 20 years ago, um, the thought of asking me or someone in the company, are you happy today? It was just unthinkable. Um, it was much more kind of like corporate focused questions or <clears throat> do you feel like you're developing the company, for instance? So when, when we started our first uh, agency, when we were 26, that was a people business. Um, so as we got bigger and bigger, we found that ultimately you got the truthful answers from people when you just said to them, are you happy? And actually, it's quite funny at the time, because this is probably 10, 10, 15 years ago now, when you actually ask people, are you happy? Like, are you happy within your role? Are you happy at work? I think there's an element of shock to the response first, which is, am I happy? Like, oh, um, and then if something goes deep inside and they actually, you get a real emotive answer. So we found straight away that you can ask lots of these different questions around personal development and, uh, you know, do you feel like you're being pushed here, for instance? But when we actually asked a question, do you feel happy at work? We found we got a much more emotive answer. And of course, that is where the idea started to come around about asking these types of questions uh, on a more of a regular basis. I think that's so interesting. So a really simple flip from how are you to are you happy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just getting it's a very, very kind of subtle kind of flip. And then you suddenly get this search for the answer i'm not sure how to answer that am i happy yeah you know, such an interesting such an interesting thing um i wonder with everyone listening in if you go pile in the chat in the chat is that a question that you've ever thought of asking do you how would you feel about asking your team are you happy just would you feel worried that there might not be and uh, you know concerned to to take that uh, answer and what would you do with that so put, put stuff in your chat and clive you talked about i think the neurobiology is that right have i got that right and the yeah, yeah, you know, we can refer to it in a number of terms, uh, but, uh, you know, you and, and, and myself, Nick, are in the game of trying to bring a, uh, a very complex subject mm. in an accessible way to a wider mm. audience because we believe in it, you know, we choose the language that we think helps with that. So I talk generally about neuroscience and, and the link there with what Chris said is that in organizations, traditional organizations have known each other you know, people within that business know each other through what they do rather than through who they are. Mm-hmm. And what we are, you know, what the science tells us is if you want to get the best out of people, you really need to understand who they are and what mm-hmm. they're capable of bringing to the table. So this takes us down a whole new route of trying to understand where people are, particularly emotionally, because again, the science tells us we are driven by our emotions. Yeah. And a lot of people will have a reaction to that. It may intuitively may not feel the case, but we can track, you know, the reaction chain in the brain. And we know that we react, as you will know, emotionally before we react, react in any cognitive sense. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know, um, focuses on things like purely behavior, I think are misplaced because behavior itself is a product of this other chain of instincts, emotions, and thoughts which actually, you know, manifest themselves in behavior. So if you want to influence how people, you know, act in an organization, you need to get beyond pure behavior and look at what, what lies beneath. I love that. Um, one of my favorite, I can't remember the name of this bias. One of my favorite biases um, is um, the assumption that somebody else has a simple mind. 
um you know so the way you would kind of express that is i know what i know what she's thinking that would be like a classic way that you'd express this bias whereas when we consider ourselves uh we quite often don't know how we are we don't know what we think about things you know we know that we ruminate a lot about stuff um you know if you if you take a moment to delve inwards into your own mental experiences it's really complex Absolutely. i don't think anyone would say it's not that complex in here yeah. um but then you kind of make this immediate assumption i know what she's thinking i think she's fine you know i know what he's thinking oh, i think he's got a real problem um and your point i think is is just to sort of start with a lovely emotional question and then take it from there find out right i think that's what you're saying why don't we find out yeah well if, if that's what drives us that's a good place to start our inquiry isn't it yeah yeah yeah. no i really love it now i've got this next slide to share which um is from you guys um let me just see if i can get this shared correctly so is your our vision slide come up yep that's right Oh, so yeah, so I think this is just a beautiful slide. I love the way you've um, summarized this. And I think uh, people I know in the audience will really align with some of the work stuff on here. But mm. um, for me, this is kind of a way of encapsulating how to be with people to find out about them. Uh, yeah, yeah. There are some key things here which allow you to uh, ask those questions. So maybe you can just talk about this. This is obviously a key slide for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is um, this is our guide and light in the business, really. Um, I mean, if I go back a little bit, uh, we, you know, when we used to ask the questions around, you know, do you feel happy at work or are you happy? That was never really based on any science back then. It was based just on a belief that if you, if your employees are happy at work, um, that's going to be positive. It was, it was simple as that. But when we started the business, um, we found that a few years in, the challenge we faced was you could only really work with believers you can yeah. work with non-believers so that's where we started to face the challenge around okay what's the science behind this and hence the conversations um with my dad began and really what we kind of this so our vision is all about freedom to be human which is you know really simply uh, in order for um you a human to thrive at work you need to be your true self but actually we've measured that in eight different metrics and there's, there's two, to break it down in layman's terms, there's two key components. So if I'm an employer of a company, for me to feel like I'm really thriving, the first bit is the brain bit, which is very much around engagement, we call employee engagement, which is around clear direction, yeah. enablement to succeed, aligning meaning and purpose and opportunities to grow. If I feel like I have all these opportunities within the company, I'm going to be in a really good place and engaged the challenge is, is in the industry for the last five, six plus years, that's maybe been the only piece that's been measured. Mm. But they've been missing the piece around the heart. And that's mm. what we call the happiness part, which is the psychological safety. It's those relationships, positive relationships. It's freedom to, to have opportunities. Do I feel like I can progress here? And probably a key one, which we see in our data a lot, especially in the last few years, is feelings of acknowledgement or with some of our customers sometimes it's the lack of they're just growing so fast always looking forward sometimes they just forget to stop and reflect and um acknowledge people so that is just a rough um idea around what our vision is at the happiness index and i'm sure dad you can add some uh, neuroscience perspective on it as well yeah, I can pick that up. Um, you know, these are not just dreamed up for the sake of it. Um, it all links back really to 
what I would describe as four you know, behavioral systems in the brain. You may call them brain types or brain, you know, mind types, whatever. Um, but basically, there are these four systems in the brain that have a significant impact on the way that we behave. And in the everyday world, we recognize those as, you know, the instinctive system, the emotional system, the rational system, and the, ref and the reflective system. Um, and again, we can track how they light up in the brain, you know, through imaging technology. So we're pretty certain about this stuff. And it's recognizing how each of those uh, impacts our behavior. And this isn't a matter of choice. You know, we don't choose to have an instinctive style or an emotional style. It's what our brains have learned through our lives. You know, so we are, we are a process and we are constantly in places where we've learned to react in certain ways in certain situations rather than other ways. So just as one example, somebody with a, an emotional style is much more likely to wear their heart on their sleeve, you know, and to need strong relationships, etc. Whereas somebody with a more rational style is probably more naturally inclined towards data and, and evidence. And so we go into this sort of stuff. But the whole point of this is to, if we can, you know, maintain that understanding of the brain and the wider intelligence system of the body, because it's not just the brain, then that means we're on a, an authentic path to understanding people at a deep, deeper level. You know, we, we couldn't do this in the last century, you know, the foundations of psychology, because we didn't have the imaging technology. But now we do. And it does throw up these fundamental insights that perhaps weren't understood and certainly weren't reinforced enough, you know, by, by previous approaches and certainly in terms of uh, leadership of businesses. So this bringing to the table, this understanding the way that the brain works and laying it bare. And it, it's a great opportunity then to understand the state of our business which means the state of our people but also this is a this is a layman's terms isn't it like the whole yeah. point in this is that you know our, our audience our c c-level people ceos cpos yeah. hrds sometimes neuroscience can be a bit scary to them or anything with anything with science in is a bit always daunting where people can resonate with this and i'm sure either people on the call or people who work with have employees in the business you know, there's always going to be elements which these are really important or it's not thinking actually we haven't actually thought of that aspect oh yeah just jump in so for, i mean just very quickly from a neuroscience perspective i think uh, kind of share that um and validate kind of your comments there from my own uh, studies uh, and clive i think we both we both know from the kind of reactive system that the uh instinct system doesn't even pass through your um your cognitive thought process it's like straight to body like an injection of adrenaline it's like straight away so i think john might be on the call today there's the thinking fast and slow the sort of daniel kahneman type thing but the second one the sort of psychological stress response uh which is the, i think the technical term for it does go through your mind but even that is it's not it's not but it's it's quite quick yes <laughs> and so so i mean both of them too fast for any of us to know that we're having that reaction and they are both pre-thinking right so the instinctive response and the emotional response are so quick you wouldn't yes. know you'd even had them yes you know they've happened before you can think about them really yeah yeah and, and just before. you know just to reinforce that you know we won't overdo the science but you know we yeah. register an emotion in the brain within yeah, 80 milliseconds whereas a thought that's the slow one right yeah the the uh the no 80 the emotion is the quick one and then we've got the 250 milliseconds to register a thought 
Now, that may seem to, to people, well, they're all split seconds, but in brain terms, that's hugely significant. You know, yeah. So it means that any um, cognitive process is reacting to the emotions that are already occurring. So you know, any, no, any notion that we're not driven by our, our emotions is misplaced. You know, we've learned strategies yeah. for trying to deal with them and control them and negotiate with them. Of course we do. But don't ever fool, about, fool ourselves to think we're in control emotionally because we're not. Why would we ever get upset otherwise? We'd simply say, I don't want to be upset and move on. And we tried to do that, but we know it doesn't work. Sorry, Nick, I think you wanted to say something more. Oh, no, no, it's good. It's really cool. And I think that's right. So I think all we ever really have is more or less emotion. And emotion is fundamentally how we engage with the world. Um, so I, I think this is a really important point that you're making, that uh, by bringing the whole idea, the concept of happiness into mainstream, you're, bring, you're generally bringing emotion into mainstream at C-suite level and, and, and getting us to think about that. Um, and I think, you know, my take on this is that, you know, people, people are you know, more or less frightened about the strong emotions that they can feel. Um, we all know that we can lose control uh, when the intensity of it is high. And because of that, we avoid this area of life. And so we never know it. Uh, we don't learn to know our emotional world very well in ourselves or in, or in others. And it's a different channel of experience, as you say. Mm -hmm. I was just really curious, I think just for people looking at this slide, I think if you kind of go through these words on here as leaders and just score yourself in your organization just in your head quietly so you know out of 10 clear direction how you're going uh aligned meaning and purpose out of 10 where 10 would be good as it could be how you going you know providing your key people everyone maybe with opportunities for growth out of 10 how you going you know what do you think about opportunities freedom to take opportunity out of 10 again how you going do you acknowledge you know is that is that your habit your reflex is that automatic in you do you have that behavior in your management team are you acknowledging Again, out of 10, how are you going? What do you say about positive relationships at work? Out of 10, how are you going? You're enabling people to succeed. I think this last one, I think it's just so fundamental. Um, if people are frightened, they won't open up. It's like um, a protective shell that we wear when we don't feel safe. It's, again, automatic. So creating this sense of psychological safety, I know it's kind of a bit of a buzzword, but it's really allowing people to feel confident enough to open up to you. And I would say that's almost like opening up here. It's like hello you know so this, i'm going to be friendly come on let's 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 talk so it's very much opening up vulnerability all of this is all very vulnerable so you have to have that sense of safety and not a sense of threat and defensiveness and i think so again you know out of 10 with your management team you know do they feel threatened uh, or do you get create a great sense of psychological safety so you can get into the detail i think it's such a great slide um so I've got a question here, you know, so happiness then, is that, is, is that enough, do you think? Should we just be focusing on happiness? Is it okay to be unhappy? I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, one thing that we've, we've done, as you would imagine, looked into a lot of happiness because we've had a lot of questions and a lot of objections from people in the past that, you know, ultimately we have a, a data-led platform and sometimes people are like, well, I like it all, but happiness is not quite right. And I think our journey is, you know, we're called the happiness index. So, you know, when we first started that business, our journey was, why are you asking all these corporate questions? It doesn't matter. Like, it's just all about happiness. But actually, we came to find that you can't just ask happiness. And actually, in order to create a thriving culture, you need to tick those four brain types. You mm. need to energize the rational, reflective people, but also the instinctive and emotional people. And of course, happiness, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because what we do within our platform and how companies work with us is 
everything's based on a score. So at the end of your first cultural assessment, measuring those aspects, you'll have a, you would have identified where in the business you're doing really well and where you need to improve. But we also say that, you know, the score is really good and it's good to try and push that forward. But also sometimes it's just understanding how your people feel and just mm. accepting that. So we say happiness is not something which can be sustained over long term. Um, it's much more of a um, trying to understand how your people feel and then trying to, to move them forward in the right direction, which, as we say, from a neuroscience perspective, is trying to get the best out of you individually. So kind of a bit of a long winded answer, but um, it, we can't just focus on happiness, unfortunately, even though we, th we thought that a few years ago. I love it, though. I think there's a, there's a, you, you, if you'd called yourself the unhappiness index, for example. Right. So there's a there's a sort of nominative determinism about the name you've chosen. And, you know, if we're going to go for let's find out how you're feeling. I feel it makes sense. Right. To start with kind of a, a, a title like that. Yeah. Let's, let's start on that side of the scale and make people feel comfortable about it to start with. And then let's open up and say, actually, no, I'm unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, behind my question was this kind of experience that I have of variability. Uh, so, um, it, 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 you know, as soon as you get into emotional states which are stuck, I think you might be kind of worrying about whether you've got kind of a problem because we're, uh, the, the, for the scientists in the audience, it's tonic versus chronic, right? So, um, uh, tonicity is a good thing. So, um, you know, finding things really difficult, getting frustrated, uh, ruminating about how to solve the problem, breaking through, having an aha moment, feeling amazing about it. I'm not sure happiness is any of the emotions I've described there. Probably uh, difficulty, frustration, hardship, um, inspiration, excitement would be words I might use. But then does that mean I'm happy, not happy? I think more, maybe happiness describes something a bit more long lasting or more of a kind of a general mood state. Um, but that variability is a really important part of the components of feeling happy. So I think it's complicated this. Do you, do you agree or do you, do you want to challenge me on that? No, no, I totally agree. Nick. Um, I think, you know, part of this is a change of mindset that people need to have you know, around linear measurement. You know, typically surveys in the past of, you know, you know, done out, pulled out their statistics. You know, they want to find out what their score out of 10 is and they want to map forward some linear progress, you know, go from 7 out of 10 to 8 out of 10. That's not what this is about. You know, absolutely, we want to improve, but you cannot rely on linear measurement because emotions are not linear. They're all about ups and downs. If you look at the fundamental heartbeat itself, you know, this whole principle of heart rate variability mm. absolutely demonstrates this fact. You know, and what we're trying to do here is simply say, look, emotions drive our people. So now we have the tools to start looking at how we can best manage the emotional health of business. I think part of the reluctance in the past and why people in my generation were very much encouraged to leave their emotions at home was that the managers in those businesses didn't know how to deal with them and neither did anybody else. Yeah. So there was a case of we'll keep them aside and then we're not accountable for them. And the whole paradigm around corporate, corporate organizations has been around hierarchy and, and control. Yeah. Now, both hierarchy and control actually diminish us as people. You know, yeah. they put us in a box. And the reality is that we are we are energetic systems that flow that shouldn't be constrained by boxes. So there's a whole principle here to sort of think, what is the actual natural state and how do we capture that in organizations? And it's fundamental, I would argue, that leaders of organizations understand what they're dealing with in their business. Yeah. So it's not getting if there's a you know, if you just announced a, a corporate restructuring, for instance. Do you honestly think people are going to be happy in that business? 
But the point is you need to know how it's impacting them. So, yes. you know, feedback that tells you things are not right is not necessarily bad information. It's, it's positive, you know, it's, yeah. it's telling you where to react because, you know, today's emotions are tomorrow's performance. I love That's it. what you're going to see on the P&L and the balance sheet later. I love um, it. You know, we've constantly skirted around that. And now we're saying there's no need to keep doing that now because we can create you know, more natural environments and organizations where people can be themselves. And that is not a fluffy metric. I love it. I think so. you've given us perfect segue into our next session, which is the challenge of choice. Um, and I'm here to make your job easier, Nick. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Well, so, so, so to, to to this point, you know, and um, when people are emotional, um, um, a lot of people will run from that. They just will run from the experience of collective emotion rather than saying what is what is happening now. Uh, let's everyone just slow down and let's let's hear. And I think it's so uh, important a skill to be able to stay with the difficulty. You can sense the emotion as you say we're energetic system, so we instantly know when the emotions have gone and then we run away from it or we attack it you know we have the fight flight response in ourselves so monitoring that in self and then just saying okay i'm going to sit with this which is a very kind of mindful way of thinking about it tell me what that is i want to know what you're safe i know you're feeling tell me um and, and being brave enough to ask that question which is a similar thing to being brave enough to say are you happy and maybe someone to say no i'm not Mm-hmm. And that, I think instantly there we take the fluffiness away, right? Because it's actually opened up to the possibility of it not being okay, mm-hmm. um, and people being okay to tell you that. I, I think it's such a wonderful thing. I want to just give people a chance to have a look at your four layers of data and the four minds. Uh, so I'm going to go to that slide which you mentioned earlier, but let's yeah. share this because I think it's so brilliant. It's very closely aligned with our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, I think this is the slide. Tell me if it's, is the share come up? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So who wants to take this? I think this is such a lovely paradigm. Well, um, I guess I can do it in, in um, simple terms. <laughs> and any, any real science, you can speak to my dad. But I guess, so as you can see, even the way we designed it here, we wanted to keep it as layman as possible. Because again, it's with that caveat that when you talk to people about brain types, for instance, some people might be like, um, just shut down because there's a bit too much science. But ultimately, there's four brain types, and what you know, what we've learned the last um, in the last few years is that everybody has, you know, everyone has. It's not like someone has a preference brain type. So I will be more of a reflective person, but in different situations, I could fall into different into different guises. So instinctive is basically something which you just act straight away so sometimes when i want to speak to a staff member i'll call them up and say can i get an instinctive response what do you think about this i put them on the spot straight away give us give us a a sense how you feel um emotional someone in my team when i say emotional which is they really like stories they really unlike to understand this context and story behind it yeah Um, reflective is which i can be sometimes i've trained i've trained myself to be a bit more instinctive reflective would be like actually sometimes i just need to give my head my brain some headspace to process information and think about the 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 feelings after and rational is i guess again in my perspective or is the detail is the detail element so here's a plan we're going to go to the moon okay great um how we actually can do that well this is the detail so again that's my layman's version of um the four brain types 
No, wonderful. So just um, going out to the audience again, just have a look at that, um, that kind of um, grid there with the four brain types. I wonder, you know, if uh, each of you think, you know, you kind of dominantly one of those, you know, are you emotional? Are you instinctive? Do you think you're dominantly rational? How good are you at reflection? I think that's such a great question to ask everyone. How good are you at reflection? And Nick, one thing that we've, um, again, the most important thing about all of this is there's absolutely no judgment. Like even that word emotional in the past had negative connotations. And it's yeah. still does now, at home or in business. It's not about that. And, and I think actually it's totally changed the way that we operate within our business. We have 40 people. And it's just actually understanding that you can communicate with people in a more effective way. Like if I know someone's instinctive, I just give them the headlines. If I know someone's reflective, I give them the information and I come back to them at different times. So I think that's where it's helped us massively. And even in my home life, of understanding, when you understand people's preference or brain preference or brain type, it allows me to adapt to them more as well. I completely agree with that. Um, and I think you're right. I think emotional does have a bit of stigma attached to it. You're too emotional, etc. Um, really, though, that has happened, I think, from what we were saying earlier on about people being worried about the loss of control that can happen with high intensity and therefore not knowing the emotional mind, not knowing it well. Um, but if you think about a great singer, um, they won't lose control, but they'll bring emotion and passion out in the audience, right? Yeah. Great, great leadership. Sometimes you need to reach for your charisma box and, you know, bring people with you. So, um, so for me, um, this is the power channel. You know, and, 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 and of course, if you put the power up too much, it could it could blow. Mm. Uh, so that's the way of thinking about this. I think it's the power channel um, and and the rational mind is maybe more the clarity detail channel. Right. So um, that's the way we would frame it. And I think it's so important for leaders to understand and live inside the emotional channel well, because how are they going to handle it? Right. Because in the end, that is where deals are done. They're done in the they're done in the power channel. You know, you get all the reflective, rational stuff all out written down on paper. You know, it's either gut or emotion that makes you make the decision, right? So, so uh, it's so important. So one of one of the um, uh, facts that I regularly quote is ninety five percent of our behavior is driven subconsciously. You know, yeah. and uh, that includes decisions that we make. Uh, people assume that we refer to data and evidence and are driven by that, but really at a subconscious level, we're already deciding which pieces of data we are looking for. Yeah. sometimes simply to confirm our prejudices and yeah. that drives the the cognitive process that then follows yeah so you know there's a lot of stuff behind this and it really sort of says look you know we've run out of time now in terms of simply focusing on the cognitive stuff that comes later in the brain and what we need to do is get into this stuff you know which is our initial reaction the instinctive and emotional stuff and the only other part I want to make about the, the brain types, as, as um, uh, Chris called them, is that, look, the brain is a highly integrated system. You know, we're not trying to box people off and saying you're one of them and you're not any of the, any of the others. You know, the, we move very quickly between these styles. But what we're trying to do is raise awareness of what's going on in here so we can make better choices as to how we respond. And that's part of that process, you know. Yeah. So there's a distinct situational element. You know, we're not, yeah. if we're emotional style, we're not emotional in every situation. No. But it's like raising our game and, and raising our understanding of other people. Because if we can connect in the right space and we know how to talk to the different preferences, then we up our game as teams and as communities. 
I think that's a lovely way of putting it. I mean, everyone, I think, will recognise that even in a meeting, one can start off reflective, rational, and suddenly find something happens that makes us highly aroused and we become emotional instinctive, right? So we'll all know that. And I think it's quite interesting to say, well, if someone is asking a question from the emotional channel of themselves, um, maybe giving them a rational answer isn't what they need. They maybe need to be met emotionally first. Yes. You know, so so I think knowing that as a leader is a really key kind of nuance. Uh, I'm not, you know, maybe maybe giving a rational response here is the wrong way to do it, go here. Maybe I need to stop and check and say, look, I see you. I hear I hear what you're feeling. You know, let's yes. talk about that. Um, and a simple, that. just a very simple example of that to make it relatable. You're in yeah. a meeting, somebody, let's say, with an emotional style, you know, could be excited about something what's said that's said, and they sat to, next to somebody with a rational style. Yeah. And they'll turn to them, yeah. you know, and sort of be excited. What do you think about that? And then you're looking for immediate response. The more rationally oriented a person will think they're in my face and they'll yeah. move back, you know, try to create space so they can process it. What happens then is that the rational person feels they've been challenged too strongly yeah. and the emotional person feels they haven't been acknowledged. So they yeah. don't bother. They, in the future, they just withdraw to neutral corners and they they miss the opportunity for connection. So, so we, we say that. It's like exactly. two radio, like two radio channels, and Absolutely. Uh, uh, you got, uh, the wrong channel on. Yeah, two two languages. <laughs> yeah, precisely that. They're all that. That's they're great analogies to try and make it relatable for people. Chris, you want yes. to come in there? No, no, I'm just oh. listening. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so look, um, um, just interested as we wrap up on this part, I've got some great questions and I want to engage everyone around the questions as well. Um, you know, we had some really good comments from Steve about context being critical to the choices that we make. Um, John talking about adapting our style, but maybe they're, you know, maybe they're relatable also to, you know, the uh, fundamental traits, the ocean traits that we talked about, you know, openness, conscientiousness, etc. Um, some really good comments in there um, about that. So go, you go have a look at the chat. But while you're doing that, and um, feel free to pick up on any of these uh, any of these points that people are raising. We'll put, we'll turn the recording off and bring people live so we can have this chat in a bit. Uh, but some great points there. I'm just curious as we wrap up on the content from you guys. I mean, thank you very much for this. It's been super interesting. Have you both got like one or two key? What you know? What what was your favourite client? Um, uh, um, project out of your data what was your favorite thing that someone has done this year to sort of really flip the paradigm in their organization having looked at having looked at your data and engaged with happiness index just you know what, what are people doing that works um well i think the one that in instinctively <laughs> came to mind um was i was with a customer about six weeks ago uh, virtually obviously in a new world and we were and we were presenting back to them um the results of their culture assessment and their scores actually really good they're a fast-growing business 500 people um but the scores that scored the least were around inspiration which is some which is something you wouldn't really think about measuring in the past and i think the general consensus from the data was that people felt loyal to be there um, they were committed to the cause, but they weren't inspired. And for us, that's the next step to creating that thriving culture. So they were kind of working hard, um, but it wasn't. They had the opportunity to go to that next level. And I think that's been a challenge in the industry the last couple of years, particularly since COVID. People, you know, professionals will always work hard. They will always be committed to the cause. But for them to perform at their best, le best level and to be their true self, 
they need a bit more than that. So um, that's one that's sprung to mind. That's lovely. So kind of connecting sense of purpose here, whole purpose. Yeah. And I remember a McKinsey article on happiness, I was study on this, said actually what really drives the additional level of performance is the two. There's a measurement of high, high levels of happiness and high levels of engagement with purpose at the same time. I don't know where that study was, now. I remember that though. Uh, for myself, I'll answer it in a slightly more generic way because it's a pattern that I've observed, you know, with the clients that I'm working on on this stuff. And obviously today's session has been more the neuroscience stuff, but we also talk about quantum principles as well, which is more to do with energetic flow and things like that. But basically the starting point, and this may be useful for the audience, I think is inevitably going to start in two areas. When you're trying to bring about this change of approach, which sometimes is, sometimes is enforced because the the people in the business can see that it's no longer working. And sometimes it comes about through some sort of inspiration of a new leader. But in, it's essentially, it's about two things. One is about the vision. It really is about setting out this new direction and, you know, making that, that vision relatable. You know, the happiness index talk about the, the freedom to be human. And they've put a lot of conversation into what that means so that people can relate to it. And it does provide a sense of direction. And, and then secondly, it's about building trust. You know, we have to trust not only people's intentions, but their talents and their habits. And there's a lot of work to do to, to take people to a new trust level. And again, the science is incredibly strong. You know, when we feel in a place that where we feel trusted, in other words, we feel safe, we are ready to genuinely engage, to emotionally engage and give what we are, as opposed to being in survival mode and just giving what we have to. You know, we are built and designed to go out and perform. It is a natural state because we want to perform so we get acknowledgement and get a sense that we're on the right path. And for far too long, we've denied people that opportunity. You know, we've tried to do it despite the organizational hierarchy. Hierarchy and control kills off creativity and it kills off motivation. So, you know, this is all part of a fundamental change to say, let's start the process of creating natural organizations that allow us to be our best. And let's do that in a way that starts with data, which tells us what's really going on now. That's wonderful. So we get a, a lovely kind of tune in there to the passion behind it all. And thank you very much for that. Right, guys, I'm going to um, bring the audience in in a second. I'll just have a couple of slides to, to wrap up and then let's let's take some of the questions for those who can stay for a little. Um, so I hope you've um, enjoyed uh, listening to me, Chris and Clyde from the Happiness Index talk about the power and importance of bringing emotion more fully into the frame in business and being brave enough to ask those emotional questions of your team and that lovely paradigm there from Clive about you know finding the right balance between command and control and um, transformational leadership style I guess is what we're talking about here so a more organic organization where there's more freedom um, uh, to, to be I guess question here for everyone what's the one thing I always like to finish with that so you know if you found today useful if something has inspired you what is the one thing you're actually going to do right you've got cognitive space for at least one so so put something in there um, and um, here are the contact details. So if you want to find out more about Happiness Index, you can get Chris. Um, there's his email address and Clive um, at Try Making Sense. And then there's the Happiness Index website. So go take a look. 
um, and connect. And I'm sure the guys will be uh, delighted to talk to you more and maybe come and you know talk to you and your teams about this. Uh, thank you both very, very much. Uh, these slides will obviously be around shortly after the session and uh, the, the recording will be up um, online. And then just next one, oh, I got the date right. Hey, so uh, leading yourself the challenging choice uh, with us. So as leaders, we regularly face ambiguity. In these situations, those that you know, lead, they, they're looking for clarity, right? People are looking for clarity when things become ambiguous um, because it's uh, uncomfortable. So that's emotion, right? So uh, this can be a challenge. And when we're feeling that discomfort that comes from facing uncertainty, right? So we can feel emotional, it can be difficult. We're in unfamiliar territory, we're without that map. You know, when things are ambiguous, what should leaders do and how? So that's the next session, right? So um, we're really talking about facing your difficult, facing your challenge, facing your hard and learning from that. So it should be an incredible session. Uh, nice one to finish the season off on and um, register after this. And we hope to see you on for the next one. Um, uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. By the way, there is an article uh, on this subject on our website. There's a nice little screenshot there from, from Alice uh, to show you where you can go find it. Uh, so uh, a lovely article there from Rosanna, which, uh, which talks about you know, the challenging choice and face, facing your heart and stepping out of the comfort zone. Thank you for listening to our Strategy Cafe. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Do feel free to share this recording with others that you think may find it interesting. You can register for our next Strategy Cafe on our website, alembicstrategy.com, in the Get Involved section. We hope to see you online.